Listen, welcome again. If you just came in uh, recently before I greeted you earlier, welcome to New Life Church. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Jeremy Smith, the lead pastor here. I serve with some wonderful folks on staff, great lay leaders and elders in our church, uh, wonderful folks uh, who love Jesus and who are all about helping make Jesus the center of our life, our church, and our community. And uh, we're honored and thankful that you're with us this morning and, and, and a part of a part of our uh, journey together as a church. Well, uh, we are, if you are kind of new here, we're meeting in here today. This is the cafeteria of our school. And uh, because the construction, we've been asking, praying, longing for the roof to be done. And then when it does, they say, well, you can't be in there. And so we were here last week again today. We're hoping today will only will be the last time we're in here today. It is intimate in here, though. I do. I'm not opposed to it. It is smaller. And I know some of you, if you've got the fear of being close to one another, then I know you're probably anxious to get out of this room here in a few minutes, <clears throat> especially if someone sneezes or coughs uh, in our day and time. Uh, but... Um, <clears throat> uh, but um, Anyway, we hope to be back into the gymnasium next week if all goes well. Uh, if that happens, then we may send out a, a church-wide text uh, letting folks know that, hey, if you're available on Saturday for a couple of hours to reset the gymnasium, to move everything in here back in there, and then a little bit more that might have to be done. But uh, we really won't know that probably until around Wednesday, uh, we're hoping, and uh, be able to uh, give some clarity and direction on that. So just keep that in mind. If you do have some time on Saturday, we may send out that message and, um, and, and ask for those who can to help. So I'm going to switch mics. Uh, I think just this um, being in here with the mic I'm using is not quite conducive. So to the handheld. How's that? All right. Um, again, welcome online. If you're just now joining us, worshiping with us from a distance, uh, we love you. We hope you're able to be with us sometime soon in person. Um, well, listen, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles. We do not have the scriptures on screen again today just because of the dynamics of our setup, but we're going to be first in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16, and then we're going to be in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18. Matthew 16, then we're going to go back to Matthew, uh, excuse me, 1 Kings 18. Um, I was given the opportunity this summer to take an eight-week sabbatical, and um, boy, did I never need that. I didn't realize I needed that until I got halfway into it and was like, oh, wow, I definitely needed this break. And, uh, but one of the things um, that God shared with me on this break um, was he, he gave me these these five R words, I shared them with you briefly a few weeks ago on one of the first Sundays back, but he gave me these words, reset, relay, refocus, refresh, and resilient. And um, I've been, uh, the Lord's been taking me through these words and some meanings on those and kind of what it, what it, how it applies to me personally, and I believe how it can apply to all of our lives, uh, especially here at New Life Church. Uh, I, I've talked about um, resilient, having a resilient spirit. Uh, talked uh, last week about God refocusing our vision, and uh, my wife Haley ministered the week before last um, and didn't really use this word relay, but as I got to thinking about it a little bit more afterwards, her message was really about that relay being able to uh, carry forward in what God has for you, and she uh, probably my favorite message in this series that I'm doing, uh, unintentional series that I'm doing, uh, I like her messages better than mine. And uh, it was really, really good, heartfelt, and uh, talked about surrender, 
talked about availability to the Lord, talked about trusting God with your future and your life, talked about the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And all of those really play into that word relay to be able to carry forward in the mission and the purpose God has for each one of our lives. So if you didn't, if you didn't catch that one, that was August 21st. Uh, you can go back to our YouTube channel uh, or our website and pull that down and uh, you can listen uh, to that message as well. Today I'm going to talk about the word reset, particularly with the topic resetting my identity. Reset my identity. Let's look at our text here in Matthew chapter 16, and then we'll delve into what, that, what I mean by that. Matthew 16, verse 13, says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you Say, I am. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Let's pray over our text today. Lord, thank you so much for guiding us through your word, speaking to us, enlightening us, God, helping us. Today I pray that you would truly meet us where we are, and give us a vision for where we can be in the, in the relationship and the life you've called us to. Lord, help me to deliver your word. Give me your heart. Give me your words. Give me your thoughts. And help me to speak in a way that would honor you and would help your people. In Jesus' name, amen. And so to reset means to set something again or to adjust it in a new and a different way. Identity speaking, primarily our identity, who we are who we are in Christ. And so Jesus asked this question, who do the people say I am? And then he wants to know, hey, who do you? He speaks more directly personal to his disciples. Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and had this revelation. He got it. It was that aha moment. The light bulb went off. You are the Messiah. You're not just any other prophet, any other rabbi, any other teacher. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God, the one whom was prophesied about. You came, you're here. It's all different. It's not the way we thought. You don't look like who we think you should look like. You don't act like who you think we, we, we think you should be because the way you do it is so different than everybody else. But man, it is so life-changing. It is so life-changing. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus didn't ask that question because he needed personal affirmation. Hey, who do you guys think I am? You think I'm good enough? You think I'm strong enough? You think I'm smart enough? You think I'm... He wasn't asking for that. He knew who he was. He, he, He already knew that. He was asking that question because he wanted to know that his followers know who he was. Had they identified the power of who he is as the person of God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one who had come to destroy the works of the devil and to liberate and set captives free and change people's lives for the glory of God. That is what he was asking. And unlike Jesus, though, we tend to doubt and to forget who we really are, who we really are in Christ, particularly because of the different challenges and the issues and the battles uh, of life that we deal with from time to time. But going through things can kind of shake us, and they can also shape us. 
And, and when we go through stuff, it can make us, sometimes we get somewhat selective amnesia. We kind of forget who we really are in Christ Jesus. And the New Testament has lots of scriptures to talk about who we are in the Christ. If you're writing notes, I'm just going to give you a few of these. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Your old life is gone. Behold, you were made brand new. Romans 8.1 reminds us, Paul says, Hey, there is no condemnation or there is no condemning accusatory voice that can bring condemnation to you for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, in verse, around verse 8 through 10, Paul writes again and reminds the believers, Hey, you've been saved by grace through faith, not by your good works so that you can boast, but only so that you can boast in the goodness and power of God. So you didn't save yourself. Jesus did. And it's by faith. And in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul writes again, and he gives some uh, revelation on, hey, we don't wage warfare human to human, and our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. They're spiritual weapons for the pulling down of strongholds. Again, similar in Ephesians 6, he says, hey, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm against every wicked scheme of the devil. If you haven't caught on by now, the enemy, the devil, does not want anybody to know and serve Jesus. So he will do anything he can. He, play, he, he does not play by the rules. He is not fair. And if you're like me, I don't like it when, when people cheat in games. All right? I can't stand cheaters. All right? And uh, just it's not the right way. And uh, cheaters never prosper is what I was always told. And, um, but the enemy doesn't care. He does not care but what he cannot stand against is someone who is themselves in Christ Jesus, who they believe who God says they are and lives that way. And so we're going to look at that today um, because we tend to forget sometimes with the battles and the issues that we face, they tend to can wear us down and it can make us question, well, maybe I'm not as strong as, as I thought in Christ. Maybe I, I'm not, uh, I, I don't know enough word to get me through the day. Maybe I, I'm not, I don't pray good enough. Maybe God's not hearing me pray. Maybe I'm not doing it right. I mean, and you can start to feel indifferent as you go through life sometimes, especially when you have consecutive, and, and, uh, consecutive battles and battles that don't seem to end sometimes. And you turn the corner and boom, there's another thing. You turn the corner and boom, there's another thing. And it can make you kind of forget who you really are. So we're going to talk about that because when this happens, we need God to hit the reset button. And the way he does it, he does it without condemnation. He does it without accusing us. He does it without belittling his children. He does it in a way to show himself strong and to show himself faithful to his people because he wants us to know, like Jesus asked the question, who do you think I am? And we need him from time to time to reset our identity. Let's look at an Old Testament example. I'm going to sprint through part of this story, and then we're going to have a little healthy jog, okay? Or a fast walk, if you will, uh, to, uh, to get through this. But we're going to look at Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19. And we're going to look at how God reset his identity. And I believe 
can minister to each and every one of us as we live our life for the Lord. So you got some main players in this thing, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, the rulers of Israel. It said that they were more evil than any other kings before them, any other leaders before them, more evil than them, more evil than anyone else. That's a lot of evil. And um, one of the first encounters that Elijah had with King Ahab was God had sent him to tell Ahab, hey, it's, it's, it's gonna, there's going to be a drought. There's, it's not going to rain for a while, and it's not going to rain until God tells me it's going to rain again. Telling a king that, the ruler of people, a domain, a territory, and you're going to tell him, hey, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And then three years go by, no rain. Elijah and the Lord, the Lord tells him, hey, go back to Ahab and tell him, okay, the time has come. There's a rain, there's a rainstorm that's going to happen. It's going to rain. It's time to rain. And, um, and that leads into this massive showdown on Mount Carmel, the Mount Carmel showdown. You got Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, going up against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, evil, ungodly folks. And uh, Elijah says, hey, Elijah says, listen, you make a sacrifice to your God, I'll make a sacrifice to my God, and we'll see who answers. And I want you to look at verse 24. 1 Kings 18, 24. And this is what he said. He said, call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. They were on. This, this, is, this sounds like a, a, let's do it. Let's get it on right here. And so, but nothing happened. The whole day goes by. The prophets of Baal are calling out to their God. Nothing's happening. They start cutting themselves, hurting themselves, doing all their weird stuff, trying to get their God's attention, and nothing is happening. Their gods are doing absolutely nothing. Silent crickets the whole day. Elijah's like, okay, evening sacrifice time. He goes. He makes his sacrifice, and he's like, before we do anything else, I want you to pour water on everything. Three times, pour water around the altar, on the altar, on the sacrifice, on the wood that's supposed to be lit with fire. Three times, douse it with water, soak it with water. Then Elijah goes and prays, and he asks God to answer. And look at verse 38. It says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. They recognized right then and there that Elijah's God, our God, the Lord God, is the true God. And he answered. He answered by fire. Nobody cheated. Nobody tried to bend the rules. They did what they were supposed to do. Elijah did what he was supposed to do. He even made it even unfair against himself by having water poured on everything. And the fire of God fell in such an intense way that it licked up all the water in the trenches around the altar. God definitely showed up and showed out on that moment on Mount Carmel. And then Elijah went and said to Ahab, hey, you probably ought to get back home because the rain is actually coming, and it's going to be a pretty big rainstorm. It hadn't rained in three years. You know what that's like when there's a drought, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains hard. Yeah, massive flooding, big time. 
And he said, you better get on back. And so Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel to the top with his servant, and he begins to pray for it to rain. And he tells his servant, go out and look and see if you see any rain. Six times his servant goes out to look, and he's like, there's nothing. Bro, I'm telling you, Elijah, you might have missed this one, dude. It is not going to rain. I'm sorry. I know what, you, what just happened on, with the fire, but there's no rain. And remember, this all started because you told Ahab it was not going to rain. And it all came back around because you said it is going to rain. But there is absolutely no, there are no clouds in the sky in Elijah. Uh, however he felt, whatever it was, he prayed again and he said, go check again. And the servant goes out and looks one more time and he says, I see the cloud. Uh, I see the, a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah's like, that's all I need, bro. That's it. I'm good. It's going to rain. It's, we're good. We're solid. It's going to rain. That's all he needed. The size of a man's hand. Pretty small cloud. Well, Elijah goes down and he sees Ahab. He goes, for real, you need to go. Ahab gets in his chariot, takes off. God then, not only did he show up by fire and do what he did, then God gives Elijah special strength to run so fast that he outruns the chariot all the way back to Jezreel, all the way back to town. Super fast. Usain Bolt fast. Fast. Faster than a chariot, and that's pretty fast. So God was just all up in this, showing himself strong and faithful, using Elijah. But then, all of a sudden, you turn the page. I mean, you can just imagine. You can just see it. If this were being filmed, you can see camera on the chariot, boom, racing back to town, pans back, sees Elijah, pull up his gown, take off running in his sandals, and there's like dust smoke behind him because he's running so fast. And we are the champions, my friends. And it's the slow motion scene. Elijah is just hauling it. And he's like, yeah, I got this. God's got this. We are the champions. And he breaks through Jezreel, through the finish line. And he's back, panting. Then you turn the page. Chapter 19. Let's look at it. Verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told on Elijah. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. What did Elijah do? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He's like, you can't even look at me. I can't, you can't, don't even be in my peripheral. Don't even look at me. He said, I feel awful. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. That's pretty far out sat under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. 
I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. What in the world? You got the prophet of the Lord, Elijah, taking on over 800 prophets that are ungodly, and God, the true God, shows up in such a fashion with fire, consuming the altar and everything around it. Then he gives, answers Elijah's prayer with the rainstorm, and then he strengthens Elijah with so much strength to outrun a chariot, Ahab's chariot, back to town. And then in one moment, Elijah is scared to death. You ever been in life in moments where, man, you feel on top of the world? Can't nothing touch me up here, right? You got everything going for you. Things are feeling good. Things are falling into place. Seems like every prayer you pray, God has come through. And then one negative, horrible setback happens and you feel so low. It's like someone can tell you 10 positive things about you in a day. And then one person, I mean just one person, makes an, a, a, a negative comment about you, and it completely deflates you. You forgot all of the 10 things that somebody else said that were good, that were amazing, that were so uplifting, and you felt like, man, you felt like Superman, and you had all this power, and then somebody says one negative thing. Somebody looks at you sideways. Somebody crosses you. Somebody just whispers something, or somebody posts something on your social media page these days. And you're like, what? And you feel deflated. You feel defeated. Elijah was in this place where he was on top of the world. But then suddenly, in a moment, he was running for his life because of Jezebel. Just a little background story on her. Her name is synonymous with evil. It's it's the epitome of a wicked woman. She followed in her father's footsteps to be a power-hungry murderess who would stop at nothing to get her way. People don't name their daughters Jezebel anymore. If they do, they really don't understand what they're doing. But Elijah was on top of the world, but then instantly, boom, he forgot who he was. He was a real true prophet of God. He still had life ahead of him, still had purpose ahead of him. And what had happened was this voice of evil became louder than the voice of God. And it was making him feel insecure, inadequate, afraid, scared, unsure. Well, maybe, God, maybe she can do this. Maybe she really can. Maybe she really does have power. Maybe this voice of evil is stronger. And he went out into the wilderness, left his servant, the one who just went out to the mountain for him and said, I see this cloud the size of a man's hand. Yeah, that servant, he said, you can't even be near me because I feel so bad. I don't even want you to see me in this state. In a moment, in a moment. And here he was feeling low, 
feeling unsure about himself. He had forgotten who he was. He was driven by fear into the wilderness to be lost. His goal was just to get lost in the wilderness, to try to just forget all about it and pray, God, you can take me. I'm ready to die. And, but then we see the power and the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God come to Elijah. It's kind of like the way God did with Moses and all the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness for so many years wandering. They, God led them by cloud by day that hovered over them and a pillar of fire by night. God was going to make sure they got to where they needed to get to. He was going to make sure he, the people knew he was their leader. He was their guide. He was their God. And God saw Elijah right where he was in the middle of this wilderness place, in the middle of this place of his fear and his inadequacy, him feeling insecure, him feeling scared, him feeling unsure, him feeling, man, did I really just make the right decision here? I should not have done all of that. I should not. I just made a fool of myself in front of everybody. I don't think God really can use me anymore. I don't think I can come back from this. I am afraid. I, I just have, I, 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 mm, I can't. I don't think I have what it takes. And the voice of evil sounds like a lot like that. The voice of evil tries to get us to doubt. Tries to get us to forget, but to lay low. Because he knows if he can get us to lay low and forget and doubt who we are in Christ, we'll never stand up for him. We'll never be bold enough to take God at his word to trust him, to lean on him, to follow him, to serve him, to, to impart his truths into other people's lives and in our families. We'll never live for righteousness. We'll never stand up for godliness. We'll never be bold enough to, to help someone who we know is lost, but God's wanting to use us to help them find their way. And the enemy knows that he'll try to get us to doubt that we even have what it takes. But then you see, I told you we're going to, that was a mediocre jog. I'm going to have to speed it up, okay? Then you see God come to his rescue and how God reset Elijah's identity. Just four thoughts I want to leave you today. Verse, first, first one is found in verse 5 through 8. Elijah laid down. He slept under the tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, there was beside his head some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, hey, you need to get up and eat some more because the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. You see first how God began to reset his identity was first of all, God cared for him. God cared for him. And the enemy would like you to think and like people to think, God does not care for you. You got yourself into this mess? Get yourself out. You made the choice? Choose something different. Get out. Or get you to think, well, God really cannot help me. Why would he? First and foremost, God cares. God showed up and he cared for Elijah. He did not he was not interested in what Elijah could do for him. He was more interested in showing himself faithful 
to one of his own. God cared for him. God cares for us as well. In fact, Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 5. If there's anybody who writes about God caring for him, I think Peter probably falls into that place because it was Peter who had denied the Lord three times, felt really sorry, felt really bad, felt really awful. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, Hey, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time God will honor you and lift you up. For you can cast all your cares and worries onto Him because He cares for you. So the care and the worry and all the things you and I wrestle with, God wants us to give that to Him. Because when we give that to Him, it allows Him to show us He cares for us. This week, take a moment. I'm not going to read it today for time, but Psalm 121. Read Psalm 121. It's not the long one. Psalm 119 is the long one. Psalm 121. Read that one this week. Talks about God caring for you. Talks about how God doesn't sleep. He watches over you day and night, especially if you worry. Second, verse, second half of verse 8. Elijah ate, drank, had enough, and, and had the food, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, Why? What are you doing here, Elijah? God cared for him. Then secondly, we see how God resets his identity by him carrying him. God carried Elijah 40 days, 40 nights through the wilderness to get to the mountain of God. God and his grace has a way of carrying us to where we need to be when we don't feel like we can get there. We've all gone through things. Many of us, have, we all have stories. We all have a testimony. We all have a history. And we could all probably take a moment to think about, wow, that was God who carried me through that. Some of us have been through some really tragic events in life very unfair, unfortunate situations. And you're here today. You're breathing today. In fact, if you put your hand over your heart, you feel it beat. And you take a deep breath. That's a reminder. God hasn't left you. You're still here. And you still have purpose. Never underestimate the power and the amazement of God's grace to carry you through in life. And that's where he was, beginning with Elijah. He cared for him and showed him he was there. And then he said, look, I got you, man. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to get you to move forward if you will just trust me. And that's what God's grace does. And let's look at the third one, verse 11. The Lord told Elijah, go out, stand before me on the mountain. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out, stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
God cared for him. God carried him here. God called him out. He had been hiding in a cave. God called him out. You know, God loves us too much to leave us in our fear and in our mistaken identity. God loves us too much to leave us in in the place of us feeling inadequate and insecure and scared and afraid and worried and doubtful and all of those things. God loves us too much to leave us there and He calls us out just like He did with Elijah. But here's the thing that sticks out about this story is God knew Elijah did not need a strong wind. He knew Elijah did not need that intense shaking or that intense fire to get his attention. He needed to go deeper. Elijah needed that still, small, quiet, gentle whisper of God. God's voice, although a whisper, was louder than that venomous voice of evil that had shouted to him through Jezebel. Sometimes that voice of the enemy can be loud to us. In fact, throughout different parts of Scripture, Zechariah, Revelation 12, where John has a revelation, says that the accuser, Satan, the enemy, accuses us day and night. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's, that's what he does. In fact, Jesus called him the father of lies. But they're all lies because a person who is in Christ Jesus is a brand new person. Person who is in Christ Jesus has the spiritual armor of God. Person who is in Christ Jesus has weapons that are not carnal and fleshly. No, they are mighty in God. They are spiritual weapons, mighty to pull down the strongholds, to stand against the, the invisible spiritual forces of darkness that invade our life, that try to attack us and plague us. See, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People aren't our enemy. Darkness is. And the voice that Elijah needed, the sound that he needed, was not some big, loud, boisterous, bang, intense heat moment. He didn't need to be entertained by the bells and whistles. He needed to the reassurance of the whisper of God. He said, Elijah, I got you. Elijah, I see you. You're scared. You're lonely. You feel separated. You're doubting everything about you. In a moment, I saw all that happened. But I'm here. But first, you had to come out of that cave. And you needed to hear me. And then that leads us to our last part. God cared for him. God carried him. God called him out. And his voice spoke to him in verse 15 and said, Elijah, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king. Then anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. Then anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. God called him back to purpose. God called him back to purpose. You see, when you and I live outside of our identity in Christ, 
we tend to forget things. And we tend to miss things. Elijah thought he was all alone. Elijah thought he was the only prophet left. Elijah thought he was the only good godly leader there was. And he was like, I'm no better than anybody who's ever come before me. It's time for me to die. It's time for me to go on up. Well, if you fast forward, Elijah didn't die. Elijah was just taken. In a moment, he was walking, and then, boom, he's not there. Walked with God, and he's taken up. But first, God reminded him, hey, you're not alone. You're not isolated. You're not invisible. People do care. In fact, people are waiting on you to get back to your purpose because your purpose is tied to helping other people. And he said, you need to go back the way you came and do these things. You have Hazel, you have Jay, you have Elisha to anoint. You need to get back. And he, God showed him that. Our identity is linked to our divine purpose, which is linked, always linked, always linked to helping other people come to know Christ. Your purpose and my purpose. And the enemy knows that. The enemy doesn't know everything. Only God knows everything. The enemy is limited. But man, he sure makes us think he knows a lot, doesn't he? He sure is clever. In fact, that's what he's, he's clever and he's crafty on how he tries to get us to think that he knows more than God. But the enemy doesn't. He knows, but he does know, hey, a person who doesn't live their identity in Christ, serving the Lord for the purpose that God created them for, if he can get them to doubt that, if he can get you to forget that, if he can get you to lay low from that, if he can get you to kind of hide out from that, then he's cool with that. He's cool with that. But what he doesn't like is a person who stands up and knows who they are in Christ Jesus and believes everything God says they are. And it doesn't mean you and I won't ever have low moments. It doesn't mean you and I won't ever have these trying times where we tend to forget or doubt who we are in Christ because it happens. It happens to me. I can't tell you how many times in life that I have doubted who I am in Christ, that I have almost told the Lord, I'm done. I'll do something else. I can't do this anymore. Too much. Too much. And every single time, Brandon, every single time, calls me out of the cave. He says, I got you. I didn't make a mistake when I called you. I know exactly who you are. You don't think I know your flaws? But I know the strength of my hand on your life. When we humble ourselves before God, He always lifts us up. And He always sets us on a path to move forward. So today, maybe you felt like me before. Doubting. Maybe you felt like Elijah before feeling inadequate, feeling insecure, feeling afraid, and you've bought into the lies of the enemy to tell you, hey, you don't have what it takes. You're not, you can't be forgiven of that. God cannot redeem that. God can't use you in your state of mind. Today, open your life up to the Lord. Open your heart up to God. Let God show you He cares for you. Let God remind you that it's His grace that will carry you. 
and let God speak to you in that gentle, reaffirming whisper that says, I got you. I have a purpose for you. You need to get back on track and live the life I've called you to live. Will you stand with me? I'd like to pray for you today. There's no music. It's just stripped down, raw church. There's no bells and whistles. There's no performance. There's no hype. But I have just a moment to end with prayer. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads today. Today, if if you're maybe feeling like that and maybe wondering why have I felt like that before and not really understood it. Maybe today has shed some light on that to help you understand the enemy does not want you or me to know who we are in Christ Jesus. He wants us to think and believe that we're worthless, that we're useless, that we'll always have the same problems that we've always had. We'll always have the same struggles we've always had. And he wants us to not take God at his word. You're a new creation in Christ. The armor of God clothes you, protects you, empowers you. The Holy Spirit is within you. God's word is your foundation. That he, when he forgives, he really forgives. When he frees, he truly frees. And when God's grace touches a life, it changes. So today, maybe you felt like that way in a way, inadequate, unsure, afraid, man, just really worried unsure, scared about the move you're making, about the choices you're making. But you're trying to go forward, but you don't feel like you can. I want to pray for you today because it's an identity thing. You need to be at, have God's hand reset your identity. If you would, lift your hands if any of that makes sense to you or applies to you today. I'm just going to pray for you where you're at. I'm not going to call you out here today. But I just want to really pray for you today. Lord, you see hands, you see hearts, you see lives. You see the reality of situations, even when our perceptions are skewed and we don't really understand it. You know where everyone is in this moment. Today, I pray that we would just be honest about where we are. Like Elijah, he was flat honest with you and he told you how he felt. That didn't scare you away. That actually made you come closer. You cared for him. Today, care for us. Care for us right where we are. You carried Elijah. You helped him to move forward with your grace. And by your grace today, extend your hand of grace in our life. Let us feel it. Let us know it. Let us be reassured. The hand of God is on me to help me, to hold me, to keep me, to lead me, to guide me, to bless me, to favor me, to help me move forward in life. And you called Elijah out. So you're not going to stay hidden and isolated. No. You called him out and reminded him, you have him. Today, let us know you have us, God. Open the eyes of our heart. Reset our identity today. Adjust it so that we can see, ah, the enemy will not get the best of me next time. I will not 
play into His hand. I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus. His blood has forgiven me. The power of the Spirit lives in me. I am healed. I am sealed. I am set free and I am on a mission for the kingdom of God. And I will not be taken back, but I will advance forward. Today, Holy Spirit, seal this word in our hearts and let the voice of God be louder than the voice of the enemy. I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.